Greetings, everybody. This is Dr. Mark McGranahan from A to Z Pediatrics in Caseyville, Illinois, with episode four of the Witch Doctor podcast. We are not actual witch doctors, but we practice Western scientific medicine, pediatrics with compassion and common sense. And that's what we're going to deliver in large quantities in this series of podcasts. So, um, it is now early, early, early on July 4th. It's, what, 1.07 in the morning, um, and I'm up. So we're going we're gonna to talk about summer safety. Yes, I know the summer's half over, um, but we just started our podcast. So, hey, better late than never. And if you listen to this next summer, then it'll be early. So there you go. Um, I'm going to go over uh, some topics that are actually on our summer safety tip sheet, but um, being parents, uh, all of us are ourselves, and we realize where these handouts end up, um, you know, in the parking lot or as a scratch pad or, um, you know, lining the outside of a cheeseburger or or supplementing the floor mat in the car. I get it. Um, so anyway, we're going to go through some of those, and I added some additional topics that I think are very, very helpful. Um, topic one, sun safety. When we think about sun safety, uh, really, there are two types of little people. Uh, one are the babies under six months, and then the second group is everybody else. So with the babies under six months, avoiding sun exposure actually is optimal. Uh, you can do that by dressing the kids in, in lightweight, long pants and long sleeve shirts, wide brim hat if the little creature will keep it on its head. Uh, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Believe me, I get it. Um, I have three creatures of my own, so um, two of them would keep the hats on, the other one not so much. But um, when when adequate clothing like that and shade are not available, then uh, you can actually use a minimal amount of sunscreen. You uh, would apply it to small areas of the skin that are going to be exposed, so the backs of the hands and the feet, um, arms and legs, things like that, uh, a little bit to the face. Um, sunscreen should be at least SPF 15. Honestly, you know, these days it's easy to get 50 uh, and even higher as far as the SPF goes. So uh, the higher the better, essentially, but at least 15. And um, applying it, as always, uh, and this applies to everybody, if you can apply it 30 minutes ahead of your sun exposure, that's optimal. But obviously, better late than never, right? So, so put it on uh, early and often, and even on cloudy days, uh, that's something to remember. That the rays of the sun do go through the clouds; they're filtered a bit, so you don't get all of the rays, but you get a good percentage of them. And especially if you're an infant who has more sensitive skin, then there you go. Now, for the second group of people, those are the older infants and children. The uh, First and best defense, of course, is covering up. So if it's a rash guard shirt when you're out swimming, um, or if the kids will wear hats with a three-inch uh, brim on them, um, whether it's like a ball cap or, or a wide-brim hat, that's, that's totally fine. Sunglasses are helpful as well. It does protect part of their face and certainly protects their eyes from, from sun damage as well. And um, blocking 99 or 100% of UV rays is something that even very inexpensive sunglasses will do. So I would look for the UV ray blockage uh, sticker on, on the sunglasses. And um, clothing that you wear 
will be helpful if it has a tighter weave to it. If it, if it has a very uh, open weave, uh, loose weave to it, then it's not going to block nearly as much of the sun. And you, you may not be getting the level of protection that you think you are. So uh, one of the advantages of doing rash guard shirts when you're swimming especially uh, or just playing outside all day is they're they're very good at wicking moisture and uh, keeping sun away from your skin because when you're out there you're going to get plenty of sun anyway so so having a rash guard shirt is is just fine so <clears throat> as on the topic of just uh, protecting the sun from your skin uh, in general knowing what time of the day to be exposed and not exposed as much is helpful. The, the peak intensity hours for exposure are between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. So if you can uh, get out early, uh, that's, that's optimal. Or start out late. That's something too. You know, to start the activity in the um, late afternoon would be a very, very good way to do it. All right, what else here? So reapplying the sunscreen. That is definitely an issue. <coughs> Excuse me, allergies. Hey, I don't have a super expensive setup to have a cough button on here, so I, I can't use that. Uh, apologies. Hey, if this is successful, though, and goes national, you never know. You never know. I might have a fancy studio someday. Probably not. All right, so reapplying the sunscreen. You know, you should really do it every couple hours. Um, or after you've um, had excessive amounts of perspiration or swimming, of course. <clears throat> there are some new products actually on the market which are meant to uh, be reapplied to wet skin. We've used them with our kids this summer, and they really seem like they do a good job. So, you know, that might be a solution because I know a lot of kids, they don't want to stop what they're doing and parents don't want to stop them from what they're doing. Um, number one, because they're having fun, and number two, because of the blowback you get when you stop them from what they're doing. And it turns into this big drama. So, <coughs> excuse me, my goodness. All right. See, I need an assistant to get me water. But I'm looking around and there's nobody here. All right, well, we'll just, we'll just move forward. Okay, so... Um, the sunscreen, yeah, every couple hours, and uh, and then you know make sure that you reapply. However, you need to do it. All right, next topic: insect safety. There is an increase in the uh, insect population. Insects, uh, particularly mosquitoes, and uh, very notably ticks, this year. Now, for those of you who have been listening to the podcast right along, uh, you will. Remember that our last episode, episode three, was talking about ticks, as we named it. So you're already a tick expert. For those of you who are late to the party, um, <laughs> we, uh, we will inform you here how to remove uh, stingers and ticks. So if you get a, a bee sting and there's a stinger, you remove it uh, horizontally, so uh, you you know take like a credit card or a, a similar type of ID card that you might have in your wallet, driver's license, that sort of thing, and you just scrape it along the surface of the skin, um, and you scrape it right by the stinger, and then it, it will generally come out of the skin, no problem. 
then you can wash it with a soapy solution and, and um, go ahead and put some Neosporin on it and take some Benadryl, etc., etc. Now for ticks, uh, you, you don't get rid of them horizontally, you actually pull them off vertically or perpendicular to the, uh, the skin. So what you do is uh, um, set aside your you know, flamethrower and nail polish and pliers and all that and just get a simple tweezers, just a simple pair of tweezers, and uh, grab the tick at the point at which it attaches to the skin. So essentially you're grabbing it by its grabbers, its mouth pieces, and um, you just take a firm tug uh, in a direction that's vertical or, or perpendicular to the surface of the skin and just take it off. If there's some residual parts left in the skin, if they can be easily removed uh, by, uh, by the tweezers, that's great. You know, if there's some residual in there, the body will get rid of the, the foreign body part of that. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, you're not going to have a higher chance of Lyme disease or ehrlichiosis or Rocky Mountain spotted fever because you have a, a small little fragment of the tick left in there. That's not going to happen. So if you get the body of the tick and everything, you're fine. Um, how do we prevent these little critters from getting us in the first place? Uh, here's some advice. Don't use uh, scented soaps, perfumes, and uh, hair products on your kiddo uh, when you're going to be out. That can attract some insects. And thinking about um, you know, situational awareness. Uh, situational awareness just basically means being cognizant of your environment, uh, where you are, what's there, who's there. In this particular case, you avoid areas where insects can nest and congregate. So you know, we're thinking about stagnant pools of water, uncovered food, uh, gardens when flowers are in bloom. And if you're in one of those situations, you know, kind of um, reconfiguring where you are and where the kids are playing can be a good thing. So uh, that's the location. Now the application of the repellent. Using combination sunscreen and insect repellents really isn't recommended because you have to reapply the sunscreen frequently and, um, and you don't need to apply the uh, repellent quite as frequently. So you can essentially get more of the repellent than you need uh, while you're trying to reapply the sunscreen. So that's not as, as good of an idea. Using the products uh, as single products is better than the combination. There are two general ingredients that are used in the United States that can be very helpful at repelling insects. The, the most effective one is DEET, uh, and that's been around for many decades. When you use it appropriately, it really is very safe and effective. The uh, concentrations for infants and young kids uh, is about 10% DEET or less. That is very safe when it's applied well. Um, you want to make sure after you apply it and after your child, if they're helping apply it or rubbing it on, please wash your hands because, you know, if you just touch your mouth or, you know, especially if you're going to eat uh, at some point after application, which most of us do, um, then, you know, it's, it's good to avoid the exposure um, through your food. It's not meant to be ingested. It's just meant to be on the surface of your skin. So that's something. The other ingredient is called picaridin. Picaridin with a P. Um, and uh, that's been in use in Europe for many, many years and has been in the U.S. for probably about 10 years now. That's safe in any concentration. Um, back to DEET, by the way. Uh, older kids and adults, uh, the uh, efficacy of DEET 
tops out at about 30 percent um in the military i we used preparations that were 50 or 55 percent um you know it, it works really well I get a little amnesia at 55 percent but that's all right it, it goes away once you get discharged so um okay that was lame humor all right um back to back to reality so 30 percent is a pretty good uh pretty good level if it is up to 50 if it's like a deep woods off type thing or whatever <clears throat> that's not unreasonable if you're going to be in an area that's uh, you know heavily infested with ticks and mosquitoes there is a topic that's interesting and i'm asked from time to time hey are some people really more attractive to insects than others you know do some people taste better to these insects this has been studied it's very interesting and the answer is yes actually uh, there's a factor in our blood, apparently, that um, the insects can sense, and it makes some people tastier than others. So if you are the person, or if you know someone who's in your family or a group of friends, you know, that always gets, quote unquote, eaten alive, um, and you're sitting there thinking, okay, well, that person's a little bit nutty because I'm sitting here and I'm fine. It really is true. There are some people that are just tastier. Uh, to the insects anyway. So, um, you know, if, if you're that person or if you are in charge of that person, take care of that person, please make sure that uh, that they get extra attention with the repellents. Uh, no one is immune, but there are some people that are more at risk for this. So that's something. Um, these products, uh, the repellents, should not be used in kids under two months of age, by the way. So those those little ones if you're under two months of age you know just trying to keep them indoors uh, at times and situations at which the uh, insect activity is higher is an example you know, at dusk with mosquitoes um, you know then you just avoid those situations as best you're able all right next topic <clears throat> very timely considering it's what 121 in the morning on uh, the 4th of july is um, fireworks now, if you look at the American Academy of Pediatrics, they, not surprisingly, feel like the uh, sale of private fireworks ought not to occur. They, they feel like there are far too many injuries with these fireworks, and truly there have been. I mean, we know that sprinkler, sprinklers, listen to me, that's a Freudian slip, not sprinklers, sparklers, sparklers, um, burn at about a thousand degrees, and if you've seen any sparkler burns you can believe it um, very very serious illnesses can occur uh, injuries rather can occur and it's it's true they, some of them are devastating and then if you look at the uh, types of fireworks that are meant to explode as part of the effect you know and if you have an accidental discharge of those um, close to you you can have devastating third-degree burns amputations uh, you name it blindness the the whole the whole gamut and it, it really is true so now there are some folks out there a lot of us dads who are probably thinking oh what a bunch of killjoys there you go the aap you know raining on everyone's parade right um i guess i i would answer that really in two ways you know one um you know, anyone who thinks that their kid is not going to be able to catch on fire, guess again, it does happen. Um, number two, 
I, you know, there are some arguments to be made for, you know, living a little, right? You know, most of us had fireworks when we were kids and most of us were fine. Um, I do think it's reasonable to say that because of the potential dangers, which are severe, uh, I would not let the kids be in charge of any privately purchased fireworks. Uh, I can tell you as an example, what we do is uh, when we have our 4th of July celebration, uh, we go to the public fireworks, but we also have our own celebration at uh, my father-in-law's place and um, you know he's in charge of the fireworks. So he lets them off and, and you know the kids just enjoy them. And I think that's probably the best thing to do is if there are going to be any uh, fireworks that are privately purchased, just have the adults uh, secure them and uh, be in control of them and um, you know set them off for the kids because the, the uh, potential downside is just too high. So you know, if you want to enjoy them privately, you can, but, but please just have the adults in charge. So now, last topic. This is sort of a bonus and something that if you weren't listening to an A to Z podcast, you probably wouldn't get. Uh, we're going to talk about ADHD as a summer safety topic. That's right. See, we're thinking outside the box. Um, what I'm talking about is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And a lot of kids, as part of their treatment, take some medicine. Very often uh, in the past, and even today, although not as much, there were what we called medication holidays over the summers and Christmas break and things like that, um, largely due to the fact that, that some of the medicines can suppress your appetite. So the break from school was viewed as an opportunity to uh, be off your medicine and you know eat a little bit better, you know, gain weight, things like that. Um, other parents whose kids didn't have that issue sometimes still wanted a medication holiday just with the idea that, you know, the reason that we're using this medicine is to help with their focus in school. And if we're not in school, uh, why we don't need to be on this medicine? Because as a general rule, we don't take medicines when we don't need them. And that's an excellent, excellent approach, excellent thought. And it's one to which uh, all good physicians will subscribe as well. Um, the only thing that I would say to that is that over the past number of years, probably past 10 years, there's been a lot of research and more experience and also expert opinion thrown in as well that really argues for continuing the ADHD medicines over the summer. The reason for this is that we know that because of your lack of attention and because of your impulsivity when you have ADHD, you are much more likely than your unaffected age-matched peers to suffer accidents and injuries. So thinking about, you know, a line drive coming at you in baseball, thinking about, you know, paying attention when you're on your, you know, um, hoverboard or uh, God forbid when you're driving, you know, and you're a, you're a teen and you're driving. Um, you need that situational awareness we talked about earlier. You need to be paying attention. Or if you're a little kid just in a parking lot, you know, um, you need to know where you are and where the cars are. And these are all very important safety issues that have nothing to do with the school setting or academic performance. So obviously, whether you continue or hold your medicine over the summer, that's a discussion to have with your doctor. 
but it is a very important summer safety issue. And if if um, you know you're especially if you're going to go somewhere that's very atypical, uh, where safety might be an issue, water sports uh, on vacation or something else like that, uh, really strongly consider continuing the ADHD medicines uh, for safety's sake, uh, if not for academic sake. So there we go. I think we had some really good topics. We talked about sun safety, insect safety, firework safety, ADHD meds over the summer. Good stuff. Um, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode. Uh, Dr. Jean Wagner, one of my partners, she is uh, getting a microphone all set it's on the way and she's going to start recording some podcasts as well for you she's got some really great topics and she is so knowledgeable um and uh, i think you guys will really enjoy having her uh, contribute to this as well and not just listen to me drone 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 on so all right have an awesome summer have a wonderful fourth of july tomorrow happy birthday united states um, and we'll see you next time with a topic yet to be determined, but I'm sure it will be pithy and deep. <laughs> All right, now I'm babbling. Uh, last reminder, these podcasts are meant to be information of a general medical nature and not applied to the care of any particular child in any particular situation. If you have a question about your child, that's why you've got us. Please call the office, uh, send us a portal message, um, or if it's after hours, call the after hour service. We're on 24-7, 365 for you, including the 4th of July holiday. So take care, have a safe and happy summer, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye-bye.